0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Narrow Path radio broadcast. My name is Steve Gregg, and we're live for uh, an hour each weekday afternoon. We take your calls for an hour, and you bring up for discussion whatever's on your mind in the form of uh, questions about the Bible or the Christian faith, or if your viewpoint is different from the host and you want to balance comment, you can bring that up as well. The number to call is 844-484. And for the first time this week, I'm able to say our lines are not completely full. We have a couple lines open. So if you call now, you have the opportunity to get on. And uh, we'll take your call as we get through these uh, that are in line. The number is 844-484-5737. All right. Our first caller today is Oliver, who's calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Oliver, welcome to The Narrow Path. Thanks for calling.
1: Hey, Steve. Hey, yeah, great job with the um, with the debate this weekend. It was that was uh, that was a fun one to to listen to. When Max was making those faces during the opening statement, I thought, I thought it was a mock debate, to be honest with you. But the kicker was when he said that uh, we had to apologize for our faith. That's why they call it apologetics, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if he was joking. I don't. I, it, I didn't have the impression that he was joking. I thought he. Yeah. He, he seemed to really mean that apologetics means we're apologizing for something.
1: Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyway, um, I know you're not a Calvinist, but I, I'm kind of leery to engage with my brothers that are Calvinists, and because it, it just gets to an antagonistic, you know, uh, mm. impasse. Can I throw out two points to you and see how, because you're really good at, at different viewpoints, So, uh, and I know you can explain the Calvinistic position, so if I throw okay. out a couple of points, can you tell me how they would respond? Okay. Okay, so on Calvinism, because of divine determinism, you you actually have God redeeming or working to redeem the sins that he himself determined for us to commit. Is, it I mean is isn't, isn't that basically what's going on
0: there? Uh yes it actually pretty much is. Uh that is pretty much what they would they would believe. Uh they may not all want to say it quite like that, but uh, they certainly do believe that God decreed and by by decreed they believe that uh God sovereignly decrees that things will happen and then they must necessarily happen. And therefore uh the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a very standard statement of Calvinistic views. Uh, and most Calvinists that I know, they say that nothing can happen except God determined it or decreed it to happen. Everything happens by his decree. And they mean everything. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, of course, they don't really believe that everything is because sometimes they believe uh, in something they call compatibilism, which means that uh, God determines things, but not so much as that you don't have... Uh, free will. You just have free will within a certain range of options. But if that's true, of course, then what, those choices you make within that range of options were not determined. So that would mean no. God didn't, didn't decree them. So you're not going to find complete consistency in the Calvinist camp necessarily, but uh, it is the, the official position that everything that happens, including the fall of Adam and Eve, <coughs> was determined by God. And that everyone who goes to hell goes there because God determined that they should go to hell. And uh, the, everyone who's saved gets saved because God determined that they should, which means that God is making all the actual choices here. And mm-hmm. therefore, God really wanted for most people to go to hell because that's how it turns out. And, and right. the sovereignty of God's decrees in that system is nothing can happen contrary to his sovereign decrees. So so it means that he he decreed what he wanted and therefore what he wanted is for most people to suffer horribly and then go to hell for eternity.
1: And even for the elect he's, yeah, he, he's working to redeem the sins that he caused them to commit or or created them to commit
0: well yeah, i mean it's a hard that's a hard way of saying it, but that's it is essentially true I mean if God yeah. ordains everything that happens, that means he ordained the sins that you and I commit as well, even though okay. they disca- even though he holds us responsible for them uh that's right yeah
1: and then the second point, if uh you have God divinely determining some to believe that Calvinism is true and that some to believe that Calvinism is not true, then you one of them can't be true, right? Calvinism and non-Calvinism can't be true. So, God is determining someone to be deceived.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's an interesting point because it is true. Now, uh, the Calvinists, would, if we say, well, God has determined that an atheist will be an atheist, uh, if, at, at least if that atheist dies an atheist, it's because God determined it, they say. Uh, but then if you complain about that, they'll say, well, but the atheist didn't deserve to, be, didn't deserve to, to believe, didn't deserve to be saved, he's a rebel against God. Okay, but, but wait a minute, but what about a Christian who's not a rebel against God and is seeking the truth and ends up believing differently on this particular issue of Calvinism than the Calvinist does? Uh, right. How, you know, God, God determined that the Calvinist who loves God will be a Calvinist and uh, and that the, the Arminian who loves God will be an Arminian. And God determined that, uh, you know, they would just be well, someone would be wrong about this. Now, I'm not really sure exactly what kind of God we're talking about here, where he's he should. He, he is apparently pleased by people who love him and love the truth. But he is apparently also pleased. To allow a, a very large percentage of those who love him and are seeking the truth to to be totally uh, deceived, and not right. only not only is he willing to leave them in their deception, which is I could I could see that God is willing to let us sort things out and, and to leave us to our own conclusions if we we'll, if we make them, but but to determine that we'll make the wrong conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. The weird thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And I know your buddy. You probably know this, but. Um, there's a uh, uh, James White and Leighton Flowers are debating next week, I think. Um, well, that should
0: be good. So, that should be good. Yeah.
1: So yeah. Uh, that'll be okay. fun. But anyway, right. thank you for everything.
0: All right. Good talking to you. Thanks for your call, Oliver. Yeah, you too. Thanks Bye too. now. All right. Our next caller is uh, Joseph, who's calling from Michigan. Joseph, welcome to The Narrow Path.
2: Thanks for calling. Good afternoon, Brother Steve. Thank you. Um, uh-huh. got a quick question for you in regards to the uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, uh-huh. um, I know that some people will speak in tongues if, if that's taught and some will just speak in tongues because that's what will happen, and others that receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit will not. What is the evidence? I know it's the power, but what will be a sign that someone is baptized in the Holy Ghost that does not speak in tongues?
0: Well, I think the, uh, the evidence of the, of the uh, ruling of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is seen in what Paul refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, a good tree produces good fruit. If, uh, if the life of the tree is governed by, dominated by uh, the influence of the Holy Spirit, then that's going to be the fruit of the Spirit that will come forth. And if a person's uh, character is dominated by something else, then the, the works of the flesh will characterize them. Now, you, you have to realize that uh, there are, I mean, I, I agree, there are gifts of power. I do believe that some of the gifts include miraculous powers of different kinds, gifts of healings, gifts mm-hmm. of prophecy, gifts of tongues and interpretation, uh, You know, tongue, uh, gifts of working of miracles, Paul mentions. But, um, but many gifts... Are not of that type, and I would dare say that the majority of Christians do not have those kinds of gifts. Paul lists even a larger number of gifts that don't seem to have that kind of miraculous element visible. He talks about the gift of leading, the gift of showing mercy, the gift of giving, the gift of helping, the gift of teaching. These are gifts that, when they're in operation, you don't necessarily see anything, you know, dramatic and supernatural going on. But they are the gifts that some people have. A lot of people. Maybe most people have this kind of gifts rather than the miraculous kind. Um, okay. So, so, okay, suppose you don't have, therefore, a miraculous kind of, of gifting. And that doesn't manifest in your life when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the most miraculous thing, I think the Bible indicates the most miraculous thing uh, that is uh, produced through the Christian gospel and through the Holy Spirit is the likeness of Christ in the believer. Uh, we are not naturally like Jesus. We're naturally quite mm-hmm. selfish people, uh, quite uh, you know quite ornery people in many cases. But uh, but to be Christ-like and not to be Christ-like because we've made a concentrated effort on pretending to be like Jesus. You know, like a like a an actor in a movie. A, a good actor can pretend to be a very different, different kind of person than he really is. But that's the very meaning of the word hypocrite. In the Greek, the word hypocrite means a, an actor. And uh, we're not talking about acting like we have the character of Christ, we're talking about actually having it, actually being transformed inwardly from glory to glory into that same image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's what the term Paul uses in Second Corinthians 3.18. To me, for, for me, a selfish, uh, self-centered person to be made into somebody who actually cares more for others than about myself and cares more uh, for the glory of God than for my own, would be the best of all miracles. You know, true, Mm -hmm. healing somebody of cancer would be a great miracle, um, but it doesn't have eternal consequences. The person who's healed of cancer will someday die of something else. It's a a healing is a temporary thing. Any kind of miracle would be a temporary thing if we're talking about even raising the dead or moving mountains. That'd be a, a temporary thing. It has no eternal value. But to be changed into a different species of human being, uh, by the divine nature that's given to me through the Holy Spirit and to become more like Jesus, not because I'm, uh, you know, trying to pretend to be, but because that's who I'm actually becoming. That's, that's the real miracle. That's the real miracle. And, and what that is, of course, is, uh, is the fruit of the spirit. When Paul lists the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23, I guess it is, uh, He's, uh, you know, it's, it's gentleness and meekness and love and self-control. I mean, these are character traits that resemble Jesus. And that's the point, that the work of the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in our lives. Now, I, I've heard people, uh, you know, who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit for today. Uh, they emphasize mm-hmm. the fruit of the Spirit exclusively. I've heard, I've heard people say, you can have the gifts, I'll take the fruit, which is kind of, a, to my mind, a rather silly thing to say. That's like mm-hmm. it's like if my if my wife serves up a, a steak and and vegetables, if I say, well, uh, I want the steak so I won't have the vegetables or I want the vegetables so I won't have the steak. Or, Why shouldn't I just eat everything that's on the plate? It's all good. And I like it yeah. all. So, I mean, so if there's if God wants us to have gifts of the spirit and fruit of the spirit, well, I'd say let's take it all. Let's let's be greedy about that. Uh, if if right. nothing else. But on the other hand, we can't tell him what gifts he must give us. Uh, and we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be taking any credit for whatever gifts we have anyway. So it shouldn't be a matter mm-hmm. of competition or pride if we have some kind of gift that's more flashy than somebody else's. But more important than the gifts, at least more central to the concern of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is the transformation into the image of Christ. And that's, that's seen in the fruit of the Spirit. Though I don't want to diminish okay. the value of the gifts. The gifts are necessary also to carry on the work of God in the world. Yeah.
2: Right. That's true. I agree. And I know that some people, you know, I, I, I tend to, uh, you know, believe that, you know, you, you have the power. But like you said, it's manifested through the characterization of having Christ and becoming more like Christ. And that would be uh, the evidence that that power has come into your life because you're showing it, you're manifesting it. So that makes a lot of sense. Okay, I'm satisfied.
0: Okay, Joseph. Thanks for your call, Joseph. Bye-bye. Sure. Bye now. Okay, um, let's see. Our next caller is another Joseph, this one from the uh, other side of the country, from Irvine, California. Joseph, welcome.
3: Hi, Steve. I've got a question. You're you're the Joseph I met. You're the
0: Joseph I met in Boyna Park, aren't you?
3: Yes, that's me. Hi,
0: good to hear from you.
3: Hi, yeah, good to talk to you. Um, I had a quick comment about a previous question, and then I had my own question um, okay. about Calvinism. Um, I just wanted to say it's uh, it's hard to trust a God who you know seems to be uh, saying one thing and then meaning another, mm. like how uh, the Calvinist God is. And I'm I'm uh, you know it says God's not the author of confusion, but it seems that Calvinism is true. He is, um, and how. Oh, you're cutting uh, out. My question—oh, I'm sorry. Um, Were you able to hear all that?
0: Mostly. I I think I followed you so far. Go ahead.
3: Okay, sorry. Um, And my question, I guess, is uh, I I find it hard to fellowship with Calvinists because of, you know, what I see the ideology entails. And so that's something I struggle with. And my question is sort of um, how different does someone's view of God have to be before it's a different God? Because to me, I think Calvinism gets pretty close to, Mm -hmm. if not already over the line, of a a completely different person than the God of Scripture.
0: Right, right. Um, Well, that's a good question. Let me just say about your first point, I agree with you. You know, in, in Calvinism, God tells Adam and Eve not to eat that fruit, and that there'll be dire consequences if they do eat the fruit. But secretly, he is determined and decreed that they of necessity will eat it. So it's so his real will is for them to eat it because he, you know, his decrees really reveal what his real sovereign will is. So, so his real will is that they will eat the fruit and and die. Uh, but his, you know, verbalized will is the opposite, and that's what you're saying. It's, it's kind of hard to trust a God who says one thing and means something else, and uh, that's something that. Uh, that's one of those great mysteries Calvin always appealed to. He, he appealed to a lot of mysteries. Every time something he said didn't make any sense, he realized it didn't make sense, so he'd just say that's a mystery. Uh, but we don't need mysteries when we just follow the Bible, because the Bible, the Bible might have some mysteries in it, but that's, it doesn't have anywhere near as many as Calvin had in his theology. Uh, now, uh, how far off can a person's opinions about God be before they've got a different God? I'm going to have to let God decide that. I will say this. When people say, do the Muslims have a different God than Christians have? Or do the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons have a different God than Christians have? One thing I can say is they certainly have a different theology. Now, your theology is your beliefs about God. And Calvinists actually have a different theology than the early church had, too, because the first three centuries they they believed that those Calvinist doctrines, which only existed in the Manichaean heresy at that time, and they believed those were wrong doctrines. So they, they believed that those doctrines were a false view of God, just as we believe the Muslims and the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses have a false view of God. And, uh, so, but but it, does that mean they have a different God? Well, I, that's a hard call. The reason is because if God is not real, if God has no objective reality, and is nothing more to us than the sum total of our theological statements about him. And I think that's true for many people. I don't, I, I'm not sure they really believe God is real, but they enjoy speculating about his uh, alleged character and things like that. Well, then it could be the same. Well, I mean, it's, de- it's definitely a different God. If, if, uh, if, if, uh, if God is nothing else but what I say about God, and you say something different about God, then we have different gods. On the other hand, suppose God really does exist, which is my contention. He is who he is. He is what he is. And every human being who has a thought about him has a thought that either is closer or further from the truth about him. It doesn't change who he is. He's the same God. There is only one real God. And all those who worship the one God, who's the creator of all things, Uh, In one sense, they don't have, there's no other God than the one we worship that they could worship. But they could certainly be wrong about him. They could be wrong about him. They could worship him unacceptably. The Jews, actually, in the Old Testament, they, they believed in the same God we Christians do. But they didn't believe in the Trinity. In other words, their theology about God was different than ours. But it was the same God. And in many cases, even though they were worshiping the true God, they were worshiping him unacceptably. Uh, so, you know, we, we have to realize that there's two ways that we could be uh, thinking about this, and it's a bit confusing sometimes. When we say, well, tell me your theology and what you think God is, and I'll tell you if you have the right God or not. I don't know if we're approaching it quite the right way. I think, I think that we should say there is one God who made all things. He is what he is, and some of us have understanding of him closer than others, some of the propositions that one person makes about God will be more true than the propositions some other person will make. But it's the same God they're talking about. They're not talking about a different God. They're just thinking wrongly or, or correctly about him. And so I would say, uh, let's say, Calvin really, Calvin really described a God very different than the God in the Bible. Uh, I think we uh, you know Calvinists would disagree with us on that, obviously, but that's why they're Calvinists. The point is it's a very different theological conception of God, okay but it, does that mean he had a different God? Is there another God out there for him to have those thoughts about, or is he simply having inaccurate thoughts about the same God that we worship? Uh, I sometimes have illustrated with a uh, the idea of suppose a man had, had uh, three uh, sons who were very young. Uh, at the time, he went away to war, and he became a prisoner of war. And, they, and none of his sons really know him. They've never had a chance to get to know him, but they have thoughts about him. And one son imagines his father to be tall, dark, and handsome. Another, uh, you know, uh, pictures him as being a, a rough and a rugged and um, bulky, you know, like NFL star type of guy. Uh, You know, and another sees him as some kind of Weasley uh, little nerdy uh, genius or something, you know. OK, but, you know, they have different views about their dad, but they all have the same dad. It's just that some of them are closer or further from the mark in understanding him. Now, when when dad comes home, uh, he's still he's still their dad. Uh, and then they, then they recognize where their views of him were mistaken. Uh, but until then, it's not that their different views mean they have, a different, they have three different fathers. It means the one father they have, some of them are in touch with him and some are not. Uh, that is, some are in touch with correct views about him and some are not. And I, you know, I, I would think since God actually has objective existence, we need to see it more that way. Now, again, many Christians act as if God does not have objective uh, existence and and your beliefs about God somehow shape him into whatever he is in your belief system. Uh, But God is not who he is because we believe certain things about him. He is who he is because he is who he is. And uh, we may have good or bad beliefs about him, correct or incorrect, but that doesn't make him a different God. Now, how wrong can we be in our beliefs about God before he's upset with us? You know, are the Calvinists uh, uh, making God upset by having those beliefs about him? I don't think that God is angry at people who have limitations on their understanding uh, if they are with all their hearts seeking to know him, seeking to get it right, seeking to honor him. And I believe that many Calvinists are in that camp. I believe, I believe their views of God are wrong. But I believe they really are desirous to glorify him and, and, and know him. And I think some of them have known him, except they've known him through the perception of their theology. Uh, and I don't think God's angry at people for that. But, of course, if someone idolizes their viewpoint about God, if someone idolizes their own theology, I don't think God's happy with that.
3: Okay. Okay. Um... I did want to clarify one thing. I, I, I wasn't trying to say that there was an actual other god that, uh, you know, they were worshiping. I just meant that their view might be so far off that it's, you know, kind of missing the, the point of God. Right. Um, but, but I, you know, I am thankful that we don't need perfect theology, because uh, I'm sure, yep. despite my best efforts, mine is imperfect as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I know
0: some, yeah, I know some children who have very much misjudged their parents. Uh, and, and think badly of their parents when their parents are really not like that at all. But it's still the same parents. Now, it's displeasing to the parents if children have a, an unloving, uh, uncharitable misjudgment of them. But if the, if the children are not being uncharitable, and they're, they're trying to understand their parents, but they just don't have the intelligence to understand them, I don't think anyone holds it against someone that they don't have enough... Uh, you know, theological savvy. I don't think God holds it against them. But uh, it's it's your intention and your desire to please God. I think that's more important than how intelligent you are and how well you can frame your theological propositions. Okay, well, thank you so much for that. All right, Joseph. Hope to see you soon. Yeah, take care. Okay, Bye. God bless. Bye now. Uh, Jacob from Minneapolis, welcome to The Narrow Path. Uh, wait a minute, Jacob. I just realized we got a break coming up here in like a minute. I got a feeling you want more time to that, so I'm going to put you back and hold, <clears throat> and maybe we can get that sound that, that noise on your line gone before then. And, and so, after we take our break, I'll come back and you'll be first in line. Jacob from Minneapolis, uh, you're listening to the Narrow Path radio broadcast. We're halfway through the broadcast. Uh, we're on every day for uh, every weekday for an hour. And it's a live program. We don't have any products for sale, and we don't have any sponsors. But we do pay a lot of money to radio stations, so a whole lot of money. We're on 80-something stations across the country, and they all charge. And they need to charge. That's how they make, that's how they stay on the air. And uh, the way we stay on the air is by paying for the time. And this uh, these costs are paid through uh, donors. We're just listener-supported. So we like to let our listeners know. That, uh, you know, we don't have some kind of, we're not sailing through here financially. Uh, we, we do depend on listener support. If you'd like to help us stay on the air, you can write to The Narrow Path, P.O. Box 1730, Temecula, California, 92593. That's The Narrow Path, P.O. Box 1730. I hope I said that right the first time. I'm wondering if I did. Uh, anyway, did I? Okay. Temecula, California, <laughs> 92593. Uh, our website, thenarrowpath.com, is, uh, is a treasure trove of uh, free resources. And uh, you don't have to buy anything. Yes. And uh, you can take it on. There's thousands, thousands of downloadable resources there. It's thenarrowpath.com. You can donate there, too. There's that option the narrow com. I'll be back in, um, uh, in about 30 seconds. We have another half hour coming up, so don't go away.
4: a radically Christian counterculture, as well as hundreds of other stimulating lectures, can be downloaded in MP3 format without charge from the Narrow Path website, www.thenarrowpath.com. There is no charge for anything at the Narrow Path website. Visit us and be amazed at all you've been missing. That web address, www.thenarrowpath.com.
0: Welcome back to the Narrow Path Radio Broadcast. My name is Steve Gregg, and we're live for another half hour, taking your calls. Right now our lines are full, but if you want to take this number down and call later, there may be a line that will open up for you. The number is 844-484-5737. Just before the break, I was about to put on Jacob from Minneapolis, but then I noticed there was a break, so we held off so we could give him more uh, a more respectable uh, Uh, period of time to to state his interests.
5: Uh, Jacob, welcome. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a two-part question um, about the commission to uh, Jesus' disciples and then Luke's vision in Acts. Uh, The first part is when Jesus— You mean
0: mean Paul's vision? uh, Luke didn't have a vision.
5: Uh, No, uh, Peter's vision, sorry.
0: Oh, in Acts 10? Okay.
5: Yep. Okay. Uh, When Jesus commissioned his disciples and he said to preach his message to all nations, uh, are we to assume that that was the Gentiles? And the second part is then later when Luke has his, or Peter has his vision, and he realizes he's supposed to preach to the Gentiles, i am kind of confused as to, should we assume that he didn't understand what Jesus said when he told them before he ascended that they should go and preach to all the nations
0: Well when Jesus said, "Go and make disciples of all nations and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, uh, he certainly meant the Gentiles um, but when Peter was on the housetop of Joppa and had to see that vision to tell him to go to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, and preach to him, it was because what was ha- what had not been decided was was whether or not Gentiles, were acceptable without being circumcised. See, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, uh, the disciples who were Jewish were very accustomed to uh, Gentiles being welcomed into Israel. This had always been possible from the very inception of the nation of Israel that it was always possible for a Gentile to be circumcised and to become what they called a proselyte, which we we refer to as a convert to Judaism. And a, uh, that person would be essentially like a Jew then. If a person was a Gentile by birth, but circumcised and willing to keep the whole uh, law of to- uh, Moses, that person would be, according to the uh, Old Testament statements, like a native of the land. That is like a, a native-born Israelite. So it's always, it was always the case that a, uh, a Gentile could become a Jew. Now, when Jesus gave the Great Commission the question had never ar- arisen well i i should say jesus had made some statements about this but i'm not sure the disciples understood them but um uh, the-, the issue had never really come up as to whether the gentiles were going to ex- be accepted into christ's movement without becoming jews first that is without becoming circumcised and becoming proselytes uh, this was the the thing that was new that peter did not understand you see the disciples hearing the Great Commission could easily have understood it to mean, okay, it's time to go bring the Gentiles in and they'll have to get circumcised and join the Commonwealth of Israel with us and and become disciples of the Jewish uh, Messiah. And and that was how many uh, Jewish believers in Jerusalem actually still believed uh, years after the church began because it was a while before any Gentiles were brought into the church. And when they were, it became controversial. Are they supposed to become Jews so they can become followers of Jesus like us? Do they have to get circumcised Do have to become proselytes? And there were many in the church in Jerusalem, apparently, who thought that was the case, whereas Paul and Barnabas uh, said no, and that's why they had the Jerusalem Council. Now, they had the Jerusalem Council long after Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10. Uh, in Acts, the Jerusalem Council was in Acts 15. So Peter was being told to go to the house of an uncircumcised Gentile. Now, an uncircumcised Gentile, in the mind of a Jew, was unclean. That doesn't mean they they couldn't be saved. But the question is, could they be saved while they're still unclean, while they're still uncircumcised? And that's why Jesus had to reveal to him that eating these unclean animals that he saw in the vision was analogous to you know, receiving a Gentile who was unclean by being uncircumcised uh, as an equal and that Peter should go into the, the man's house and preach to him as he had been invited to do. As a good Jew, Peter is very reluctant to go into a Gentile's house. Jews usually would not do so. There's too many things in Gentile's houses that smacked of idolatry or foods that were unclean and things like that. So Jews actually had a policy they wouldn't go into the house of a Gentile. But now Peter was invited to go into the house of a Gentile who was uncircumcised, unclean. And it had not yet been revealed until that moment that Gentiles were going to become acceptable without becoming uh, circumcised. And that's what Peter had to recognize, that even though he thought of this man as unclean, just like the animals in the vision were unclean to a Jew, uh, he was not to call anything unclean that God had called cleansed. Uh, And so his vision... Was not the, it was not the first time that Peter ever got it in his head that Gentiles could be saved. Jews always believed that. But it, what, what, what it gave him was the understanding for the first time that a Gentile could become saved while in a condition which the Jews considered to be unclean, uncircumcised. And that was the thing that the Jerusalem Council had to officially decide. But Peter uh, got that personal revelation. And by the way, he appealed to it at the Jerusalem Council as evidence for the point that was finally uh, concluded there. So that's that's how those two things fit together. Jesus did tell him to go to the nations when he gave the Great Commission, but he didn't mention uh, whether the nations had to become circumcised or not. That was something that came to be understood later
5: on. All right. Uh, thank you. So, yeah, I think I pretty much understand what you're saying. It's kind of, they don't have to follow the old covenant anymore in order to be saved. And Peter might have, Thought, along with the rest of the disciples, that, yeah, they're going to be basically following the covenant and become Jews just like us, but okay. Yep.
0: I believe so. I think that's what they first thought. All right, Jacob, good talking to you. Thanks for your call. Okay, we'll talk next to uh, Spud from Massachusetts. I don't think we've heard from Spud before. How you doing?
1: Hi, hey, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, uh-huh. My question is uh, if you could just shed some light on if Jesus sinless life,
2: but he was born fully human, and being born human, we're all born into sin. He's got human DNA. How does that work? And is that why
1: he wanted to be baptized?
0: Well, no, I don't think he wanted to be baptized to deal with anything like original sin. I, I, he did have human DNA, to be sure, but I don't know that human DNA carries any sin in it. I mean, uh, they have not yet discovered a gene. Uh, for sin in the human genome. And uh, so I, I don't think that having human DNA is what makes a person sin. Uh, there is that doctrine, uh, which is uh, the standard doctrine of Western Christianity, both Catholic and Protestant, that uh, when Adam sinned, uh, he took on himself a, a changed nature, uh, a sinful nature, which was passed along to his offspring. But I I don't know that anyone has ever argued that it's the human genome that carries it. It's more of a, if we're talking about inherited sin, we're talking about some moral thing, uh, moral quality, uh, which is not physical in nature. Now, I'm not, uh, you know, I have to say there's much less to support this doctrine in the Bible than most Western Christians think. And the Eastern Church uh, was not quite as quick to accept all of those things about it. Um, so it's not, it's not a universal Christian view, but it's fairly universal among Western Christians, uh, at least the ones in the standard movements, denominations, and so forth. But yeah, no, no, there's nothing in the Bible that says that having a human DNA would make you sinful. Uh, Adam had sin- had human DNA before he sinned, and he wasn't sinful. And I, we have no reason to believe his DNA changed afterwards. At least, I mean, if someone thinks it did, they can say so, but there's no evidence of that in the Bible. And um, and I, it's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me to suggest it. But anyway, um, many people who do believe that, uh, you know, Adam's sin is passed along genetically have said that Jesus escaped that taint in his human nature by not being born of a human man. He had a human mother, of course. Um, But some would say the taint of Adam's sin is passed down through the male, through the father, not through the mother. And since Jesus only had a human mother and not a human father, but God was his father, he managed to avoid having that infection from Adam through his line. Um, Now, the Catholics go even further, and they have said that even his mother was free from original sin. Uh, They would say that, and this is what the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception means. Now, the Immaculate Conception is not the same thing as the virgin birth. The virgin birth is about Jesus being born to a virgin. The Immaculate Conception has to do with the way Mary herself was conceived when she came into existence, that her parents were miraculously prevented from passing along uh, the taint of original sin so that she was the only person uh, or the only woman ever to be, uh, to be conceived immaculate, that is, clean of original sin. And therefore, since Jesus had no human father and he had a mother who was immaculate, that is, sinless, uh, therefore he, no one was there to pass down sin to him. However, I, this is not something the Bible teaches. I mean, the Bible doesn't teach the Immaculate Conception. And it seems like an unnecessary doctrine. I mean, if God could do a miracle in Mary's parents to prevent her from receiving uh, you know, original sin, uh, why couldn't God just do the same thing with Jesus and, and even if Mary had it? Uh, presumably, her parents had it, but God prevented it from being passed along to her, according to the Catholic doctrine. Uh, So if God could prevent sinful parents from passing on their sinfulness to Mary, uh, then I don't know why a sinful Mary could not be prevented from passing it on to Jesus, if that was necessary. Uh, All of this is all speculative stuff that has almost nothing to do with anything the Bible says. Uh, I mean, Jesus was born of a virgin, that's for sure. Mary was not immaculately conceived. There's nothing in the Bible that says that human sin is passed down through the human genome there's nothing in the Bible that says that Mary was sinless. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests that a miracle would have to be done uh, to prevent sin from being passed on uh, through Mary. I mean, all of this is just speculative theology, which has been accepted in, in some churches. And so Jesus Jesus didn't sin. That's why he's sinless. We have sinned. That's why we're not sinless. Uh, you sinned, I've sinned, we've all sinned, and that's what makes us uh, not sinless, and that's why we need forgiveness. But uh, Jesus didn't sin, and that's why he was not sinful. Thank you for your call. Let's talk to uh, Marty from Brooklyn, New York. Hi, Marty, welcome. Hi, Steve, how are you? I just want to make a quick
1: comment, and then I have a question for you. Now, the Israelites didn't have the Holy Spirit before Jesus came. So keeping that faith would be very, very uh, hard to do. Not like the gift that we got from God. We have the Holy Spirit to keep us in line, to speak to our hearts, to keep us strong. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. Okay. And my question is this. If Jesus came tomorrow with his saints from heaven and we were caught up with him in, in the air,
0: does the Bible say anything of where we're going to be? Well, uh, the Bible indicates that Jesus is coming here. Uh, he, you know, he he went away from here; he's coming back to here. That's what the Bible says. The angels announced that when he ascended. This same Jesus, whom you've seen ascend into heaven, will come again in like manner as you saw him go. Come where? Well, here. Uh, when Jesus said, uh, "You know, I will come to you." I believe he meant he'll come to us here. Uh, the second coming of Christ means the second coming to earth. He came to earth once. He'll be coming a second time, also the Bible suggests. So where he's coming to is here, and we will be with him. So when we are caught up to meet him in the air, he's he'll be on his way here. He will have left heaven. He'll be on his way here, which is where he's coming to, and we will be able to meet him in the air and uh, like a welcoming committee from earth to join him and accompany him on the rest of his descent uh, from, from heaven to earth. So at least that's, that's what the Bible seems to teach, and, and I know of nothing in the Bible that teaches something different. So that's the view that I would take from, from Scripture. There are, of course, many people uh, who believe that we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and then he'll take us up to heaven for seven years. And then he'll come back to earth. Uh, virtually all Christians have historically believed that Jesus is coming back to earth. As, but, but there are some, especially since the, uh, the 19th century, who have taught that Jesus will come catch us up in the sky like seven years before he comes to earth. And he'll take us up into heaven for those seven years. There's no mention of this in the Bible anywhere. And uh, it, it certainly seems to go against what the Bible does affirm. So I don't hold that view, as, as very many people do. David from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, brother?
6: All right. Good to talk to you. Um, I have two questions. Uh, I think that they're connected, though they might not be. But one is that um, Satan enters Judas and gets Christ ultimately crucified. But previously, he seems to be influencing Peter to avoid Christ crucifixion so one question is does did the devil want or not want christ to be crucified and then the other question is in first corinthians chapter 2 and verse 8 paul speaks of rulers of the age um, who had they known they would not have crucified the lord of glory who is he talking about there with the rulers Mm -hmm. of of the age and why would they not want him crucified in that case
0: right well, uh, the rulers of this age that Paul says did not know the secret wisdom of God, and if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Um, they, the term he uses for rulers of this age could easily refer to political rulers, people like Pilate and Herod and, and, and even, even the Sanhedrin, who did crucify Christ and who you know, maybe would not have done it had they known how things would turn out. Uh, you know, the wisdom Mm -hmm. of God was that something was going to turn out from this that they weren't, that wasn't in their favor, you know, that was not what they wanted, and if they'd known that this was going to happen, they wouldn't have bothered to to, you know, cut their own throats in that way. Uh, Although, it's also possible that the rulers of this age is referring to the principalities and powers uh, and the rulers of the darkness of this age that he refers to in Ephesians 6, uh, 10, I guess it is, or 12. And, um, In in other words, the demonic powers and Satan, which gets us to your first question. Uh, Mm -hmm. If Paul is saying that Satan, had he known what would occur as a result of Jesus' crucifixion, would not have been favorable to it, would not have inspired it as he did, uh, well, then that would mean that Satan uh, wouldn't like the way things turned out. But he did. He did do the thing because he hoped it would turn out differently. Now, why would he inspire uh, Judas to crucify Christ? Well, because, uh, I think, as Paul said, because Satan didn't know, didn't know that this would turn out badly for him. But then your other question in, in Matthew 16, why did Satan inspire Peter to try to dissuade Christ from dying? Uh, you know, uh it's it, why did did Satan want Jesus to die or not? Well, again, Satan didn't know about the resurrection, so it would appear that Satan did want Jesus to die. So why would he try to dissuade him from it through Peter in in Matthew sixteen? Um, I'm not sure. I could answer. I don't know what all goes on in Satan's head. He and I don't converse very often, <laughs> and uh, I don't think we're on, I don't think we're on the same page about many things. So I can't really relate with him, but. But I will say this. Um, when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, when he was speaking to Peter, he might have simply been saying, you are an adversary to me, Peter, when you talk that way. Just like Satan is an adversary to us. Remember, he didn't say, for you, you do not esteem the things of Satan, you esteem the things of man. Or, excuse me, he said, you don't esteem the things of God, but you esteem the things, that, uh, he didn't say of Satan, but of man. So... Uh, mm-hmm. in other words, what Peter was doing was thinking like a man, uh, and Satan was no doubt, you know, the word Satan means adversary. And so Peter was like being an adversary. He's you're, he said, you're a stumbling block to me, Peter. You're my adversary when you talk that way, uh, because you're not esteeming the things of God, you're esteeming the things of man. Uh, I think Peter was answering largely from his own, uh, human sympathies. Uh, and not thinking of the purposes of God, not understanding the purposes of God, and in that sense was speaking, as it were, as a mouthpiece of Satan, whether Satan himself had any real understanding of what was going on or not. Now, it does seem that if Satan was consciously trying to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross, and yet he also uh, you know, inspired Judas to send him to the cross, then Satan may have been a little confused. And I have reason to believe that is the case. I think he was confused. I don't think, Mm. I I don't know that Satan had a whole plan that was well thought out because he didn't know what the plan of God was. I think he was responding, you know, in real time to things that he didn't quite understand. I mean, think of it. Jesus definitely had total power over Satan. He could cast out a legion of demons with a word. I mean, Satan didn't really have any power over Jesus at all. And uh, and Jesus was just going through Israel, casting demons out and just bringing all kinds of grief to Satan. And Satan couldn't do anything any more than a man tied up in his old ho- own home could stop a home invader from spoiling his goods, mm-hmm. as, as Jesus said. Uh, right. So, but then suddenly Jesus kind of just turns him over and turns himself over to be destroyed. And no explanation is given. And I, I think Peter—I I think— uh, satan was like totally confused by that i I think satan was perplexed didn't know what he's doing i think he's just reacting negatively toward christ uh without knowing what the plan was and so he might have inspired peter that may be what is implied when jesus said get behind me satan or he might have been just telling peter you are an adversary which is what the word satan means uh you're 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 trying to stumble me when i'm trying to do god's will here because you care more about right human sort of like the,
6: the so like the like demons whenever they speak during jesus's sermons and you would think well be quiet don't you know don't yeah it's uh, like they're irrational
0: that, they're irrational right. like it, they, they'd they be better off if they just kept silent and let let the servant sermon, <laughs> sermon go by and let jesus leave right when, they, right when they rise up and confront him they're terrified of him uh, they don't seem to be able to control themselves. I, I think Satan and, uh, and the demons often are irrational. I mean, who would right, oppose God? Right. Who would oppose God if they weren't irrational?
6: Right. And which of the two options do you lean towards with 1 Corinthians 2? eight? Do you tend to see, like, human, human uh, leaders I tend, or spiritual? I tend,
0: to lean, I tend to lean toward the spiritual principalities and powers in that passage.
6: Got it. Got it. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it.
0: <laughs> okay, David. Good talking to you, brother.
4: Okay. All right, bye. bye
0: All right. Uh, Rick from Phoenix, Arizona, welcome to The Narrow Path.
4: Well, uh, hi, Steve. I like that explanation you just gave that gentleman that called in. That was excellent. Um, I just wanted to make the comment and get your feedback. Ah, it's getting kind of late. Um, The uh, earth, it, it, the Bible plain, plainly teaches that when Adam sinned in the garden, that uh, the earth was, okay, it doesn't say the whole earth and the whole universe was damaged, but what it does say is that man's relationship with God was damaged. And Mm -hmm. it makes the comment that, you know, the food would no longer grow properly, so that man had to toil the rest of his life, the rest of his existence. Uh, So there was a change in the physical universe, not just the spiritual universe there was damage to the physical universe and i maintained my friends and people that i talked to that the earth and the universe is not what it was before the fall and it doesn't look the same it isn't the same as what it was then there was no death when it was first created and so the point i'm getting at is this god couldn't have any sin in his presence consequently This created the complete and total chasm between God and man, which was the opposite of what God wanted. God couldn't just come down here and start talking to man and do stuff with man and whatever in the physical. Because I need to ask you something.
0: I need to ask you, is there there a question in here? Because we're almost out of time.
4: Yeah, we are almost out of time. Uh, What I wanted to say is that Christ had to be born extra-natural because in words, it was, he was taking on a natural human body. Uh, okay, are
0: you telling me, but, telling me you don't have a question?
4: Well, I do have this question. Okay. What, what would, how would you uh, respond to that or give thought to that? Uh, because Mary was human, Jesus' spirit was God, it is God, and he had to be born without touching any sin. And this was why the virgin birth had to be done. And so that a perfect lamb could be sacrificed. And I'll take your answer off the air. Bye.
0: Okay. All I can say is uh, it is true. Jesus had to be sinless. I don't know what it means that he couldn't touch any sin or sinful thing because sin isn't a tangible thing. It's a moral quality. But, but he certainly couldn't sin or else he would have been disqualified as the lamb. I agree with you on that. Uh, Arlene from Vancouver, British Columbia. I only have a minute or two. Can you use it or do you, is that too little?
3: No, oh, I think so. Um, thanks for taking my call. I just mm-hmm. want to know why um, Mary wasn't allowed to touch Jesus after his death, after the crucifixion.
0: Yeah, I don't think she, it's not, that, it's not that she wasn't allowed to touch him. The King James Version, when Mary Magdalene sees Jesus after he rose from the dead, that has him saying, touch me not, or don't touch me. The word touch there is the Greek word hapto, which can mean touch, it can also mean to cling to and often means cling to and uh, and and all modern translators I know of translate it that way where he sees her and says don't cling to me for I have yet to ascend to my father in other words she you know th- saw he was back she thought she'd lost him he was dead and now he's back and she was apparently hanging on to him and he's saying listen I'm going away again don't hang, don't cling to me because, not not because he couldn't be touched, actually, we actually specifically read that the other women who came to the tomb were, they grabbed his feet, and he didn't forbid them to do so. Uh, Touching him was not the problem. He allowed the disciples to touch him. In fact, he encouraged them to do so, to see that he was not a spirit. So it wasn't that he couldn't be touched, but it was, was, he had to advise her not to cling to him, uh, physically or emotionally, because he was yet to leave again. She, she might have thought he was back for good. He said, I'm not back for good. I'm going again to my father, so don't uh, don't cling to me. That's, that's what it should be. Uh, the King James Version, touch me not, could be a little misleading about that. That's not really, I think, giving the right meaning to that Greek word. I'm out of time. You've been listening to the Narrow Path radio broadcast. We are listener supported. Uh, our website is thenarrowpath.com. Check it out. Everything's free or you can donate We could
2: use it, thenarrowpath.com. Let's talk again tomorrow.